Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 252 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks for stopping by. Thanks for spending some time here today. My guest today is Mr. Tim Chuang. He's a graphic designer, child of immigrants, located in Vancouver, British Columbia. During this episode, we talk about how comics were his early introduction to design and illustration. He then shares with us the little story about uh, the grade 10 parent-teacher meeting where his parents were sort of told and and educated that, you know, design and, and creative is a career. Tim is a talented guy and he can make a career of this because being, you know, the son of immigrants, like does graphic design is not usually high on the priority list of, you know, careers that they'd like to see. It's a common thing with immigrant families. We also talk about West Coast hip hop culture. We talk about the Jordan 5s. Remember those shoes? Jordan 5s. Talk a little bit about Nike ads. Then he tells us about an agency job that he had, why it was so tough, such a tough period of time in his career, and then the branding project he was a part of and uh, the unique criticism that he received. This is a great conversation with Tim. I'm excited to share this with you and all of the stuff that we get into, including, uh, I, I don't know if I can say the most unique, but a very unique ask it forward question in the end. It's a good one. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get right to it. My guest, Mr. Tim Chuang. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Tim, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you? Good, sir. Good, sir. Thanks for having me. Good. You're sitting outside. The sun is shining. You feeling good? Yeah, it's a good day. It's a sunny Tuesday. I got no complaints. No complaints at all. Were you ready for a quickie there, Tim? I'm very ready for a quickie, Dave. All right. Well, let's get this started and kick it over to you. Why don't you briefly tell the listeners about yourself? Okay. I am. My name is Tim Chuang. I'm a child of immigrants. I'm a graphic designer. Been in the game for eight years. Done everything from working in a startup agency in-house. Currently, I'm living in Vancouver, but uh, I have previously lived in Toronto and London, UK, nice. not Ontario. Because not I London, do that to, Ontario. No, I wouldn't do that to myself. Yeah, you um, wouldn't mention it either. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm here now and uh, working and not, not complaining, doing okay. Fantastic. So you've been eight years in the game, had a few different roles in this. Where did you go to school? What did you did you was it like graphic design from the beginning or or what was your your path there? I was uh well I went to public school, grew up in North Vancouver, and then afterwards I went to Emily Carr. I would mm-hmm. say that my parents definitely wanted, you know, 
being a child of immigrants, <laughs> they want to definitely doctor, be yeah, yeah, doctor, businessman specifically. They used to always tell me like, hey, you're going to be a little businessman. I'm like, I don't know. I'm six years old. I don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I definitely found that I, I, was, I was a chubbier kid. So I was at home drawing a lot. So I think my first little bit introduction to art or design was actually through comics. I really, really like Garfield comics. <laughs> and I used to do all the coloring books. And uh, I guess that carried on to high school. Instead of notes, I would always draw these little caricatures. And um, they look more like hieroglyphics rather than proper notes. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a really, really good art teacher at uh, Hansworth Secondary School named Mrs. Stevenson Moore. And she structured the course from grades 10 to 11 um, in a way that really prepared, I think, a lot of us students to get to an art school. Mm-hmm. And I think by doing so really made me understand that there was uh, opportunity to kind of doodle for a living, which is really what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, doodle for a living. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once I found out the Emily Carr's GPA was much lower than UBC's, I was like, yeah. <laughs> we're going we're going there for sure art school baby <laughs> that's, that's all that's it that's it um yeah yeah so then uh built my portfolio and went to emily Carr. that's uh, that's kind of how that all all came about awesome so i want to you've sort of touched on this a little bit but i want to really get in there a little bit i want to hear about little timothy um, what was your childhood like, Tim? I mean, we, you know, coming from, you know, the, the child of immigrants and all of that, yeah. do you feel that you had some sort of a creative childhood or something that pointed you down this creative career path or did you come to it all by yourself? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about a lot actually recently. I think it was the only thing my parents didn't force me to do. Mm-hmm. So, whereas, you know, academically they wanted me to learn an instrument or do well in school here or there. Everything kind of felt a little academic, but they never really pushed arts onto me. So that to me felt like it was my outlet to really express myself. And, you know, I, I played a lot of computer games. Um, so I was kind of a chubby kid. All the kids would go play sports and I would just be inside playing computer games and then I would draw. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say I would have had a very creative childhood, but I found time to for it to be creative for myself, that's that's what I that's what I probably enjoyed the most. When I think back of my childhood, it was a lot of drawing and a lot of uh, a lot of computer games, lots of Diablo. <laughs> Dude, I remember Diablo. 100%. Diablo, Diablo, and Counter Strike. If they had esports back then, like they do now, boy, <laughs> <laughs> career path would look a little different. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. So when you're going through that stage, and you know, it almost sounds like the creative aspect, the drawing and that area was so almost like your downtime. Like that was your mm. chance to, you know, take a step back from the books, take a step back from the musical instrument and focus less on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It was, uh, I, I, I like to think that it was just a, something that felt like my own, you know, there's mm-hmm. something I discovered, something mm-hmm. I kind of worked on and just a skill I developed, um, just through practice. I think, yeah. uh, I don't actually think I'm, I'm quite naturally very, very talented per se, because I've seen very incredibly talented people who have gifts. Like you, I, I encounter them, 
they're able to think in a very creative way or they're able mm-hmm. to, to do things very quickly. I, I take quite a long time to learn something, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm a little more obsessive where if I choose something that I like and I find something I enjoy, I will make sure I'm as, at least competent in that, you know? Yeah. So I think I just found art early and um, it kind of was the only thing I had propensity to have some kind of skill or I would say some kind of talent with. Um, and I just kind of stuck with it. I just kind of nurtured it. And it developed into different kinds of interests, but they're always centered around that kind of more graphic visual arts um, aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. So with your parents wanting you to sort of go in the in the business route and you naturally starting to travel down a path in the creative and the design route, mm-hmm. was there ever a point where that became a hard decision to make? Yeah, I, well, I wasn't, it was never a hard decision for myself because it, it never felt like a risk for me mm-hmm. because I knew that was what I wanted to do. And I kind of felt like that was the only thing I kind of set myself up in a way where it was the only thing that was, I was really going to do. <laughs> once yeah. I, find, once yeah. I found out UBC's GPA is a certain level at Emily Carr's, I'm like, oh, I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going to do yeah. the lower. <laughs> I'm going to get whatever Emily Carr needs and that's it. Um, it was the only school I applied to, but. Again, to kind of bring it back to my high school teacher. So Miss Stevenson Moore had a parent teacher interview with my mom in grade 10. Because mm-hmm. this is when you start doing your electives. And I had chosen, yep. I think, four art courses. And I was really minimizing the amount of science and math I had to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she was pissed. My mom was pissed. She, she was kind of thinking like, oh, you're just wasting your time. You're just kind of slacking off. You just want to doodle. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, just listen. Just go talk to the teacher. Go talk to Miss Stevenson Moore. Like she's telling me I could potentially make this happen for myself here, or there's different avenues and different jobs and um, this field. And I really want you to understand that. So once my teacher said, Miss Stevenson Moore, my mom's coming. She's a little intense. <laughs> Just let you know. <laughs> Forewarning. And she's like, okay, so good. I got this. And told my mom, like, all right, she's going to meet you. So they have their little conference. I was at home, obviously. Next day I get the art. I, I come, I go to school. And I was like, Miss Stevenson, more like, how'd it go? She's like, uh, your mom's a mom's an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, my mom was like, you're wasting my son's time. You're da 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 da. This ABC. Uh, but Miss Stevenson more really sat her down. I was like, hey, your son actually cares about this. He works at it. He's got some talent, and there are jobs that are available to him if he works at it and really puts in the time. Mm-hmm. And also, Emily Carr offers a degree, so your child has a chance to actually get a degree in this as well. So it's not all for naught. Mm-hmm. I do I do think when they were when I was kind of the doodling, they maybe thought it was a it was a hobby, but I think they thought I was gonna be homeless. I, I wanted to be an animator when I was a kid. I wanted to make draw these little doodles and make cartoons. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I th- I thought I'm pretty sure my parents thought I was gonna be homeless. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna be homeless. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that teacher really pulled it around and sort of showed your mom that, you know, this this is a career. He can make a career of it. He can get the, you know, prestigious degree. He can mm-hmm. he can have that that paperwork and that education. So this is this is legit. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I you know, especially in a creative space, you know, I've worked in a couple different places. There's definitely a lack of diversity. And I think a lot of it just comes down to I guess immigrant parents just kind of positioning their children to be in a certain, I guess what we would call safe careers or careers mm-hmm. of prestige. Mm-hmm. But if there are more opportunities and I think they understood all the opportunities in creative to like make real money 
I have jobs that I, I enjoy. I, I can't imagine ever being an accountant. Um, I think there would be a lot more diversity. And that's, that's just a difficult, uh, that's, that's a bit of a learning curve, right? It's almost something that's generational that, you know, can't just be a, a quick change and get more people in that career. For sure. It, it is something that's going to happen with time and as generations turn over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there, it, it, it helps to have teachers like Ms. Stevenson more at my, at my school, you know. Yeah. Not a lot of schools have that. They really don't put a lot of time into their art programs. Um, I, I was just super lucky someone was there to help nurture my uh, whatever interests or talent that I have. If I mm-hmm. like, if I had gone to another school, it might be a completely different story. I think I think about that a lot. Definitely, it's it's the people that you know and the people you come across in your life that really help start to make it take shape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, for sure. So, Tim, during this you know transition through your your growth in this creative career, is there something that stands out to you as the most influential design of your life? Something that you saw, and uh, you know, a design, a logo, a piece of artwork, and has mm. just stuck with you since. I think uh, when I first started, kind of honing in on what I really wanted to do, besides you know Garfield comics and the coloring book. <laughs> which are great. Shout out to Jim Davis. That's my boy. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, th- I think I worked a little bit backwards. So most people, because, you know, I stayed more indoors and then actually play sports till later. Yeah. Most people get into, if they, if they go down this path, it's like, I played basketball. I collected the shoes. I like the shoes. I want to become a shoe designer. Mm-hmm. Right. For me, I actually started listening to hip hop a lot. Like I was mm-hmm. really big into Tupac. Uh, really big into like West Coast rap, always listening to like New York uh, and LA radio stations that um, once I started buying all the albums, I was really interested in just the culture that that kind of brought. That was just new to me. You know, that was something a little different, Um, especially, you know, me, Chinese suburban boy. (laughs) I'm not listening (laughs) to really intense rap music. I don't know what this is, but I'm really, this is, I've decided this is now what my life's going to be about. Um, They, uh, they talked a lot about sneakers, which got me into the sneakers, which then actually got me into basketball. Um, and then because of that, I got really into uh, Nike sneakers and Nike ads and um, all the Jordan ads and the, kind of the culture, the entire culture of basketball, um, which mm-hmm. actually got me started to start to play basketball myself. So I kind of reverse engineered it. Um, I would say probably, you know, once I started collecting sneakers for myself, once I started, you know, be able to work full time and afford it, probably the Jordan 5. I just remember looking at that shoe and, you know, reading about the inspiration and kind of looking at all the different parts of it and feeling the materials and um, getting my first pair at that point, you know, they weren't the originals, they were the retros, but I was working at sports check and I was just so enamored by how different it looked than the rest of the shoes, even Mm -hmm. though it was 15 years after it was originally made, just how cool it still was. I grew up also watching like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So I always saw Will Smith wear it on that show. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but I need one of those. <laughs> That's awesome. I need one of those immediately. <laughs> yeah, that Jordan 5, that was the winner. That was the one that just really caught your eye and stuck with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Jordan 5. Um, not my favorite Jordan now, but it was it was the one I was like, this is interesting. This is interesting a lot. And I really like the Nike ads too. Um, I would say the advertisements, uh, I just thought they were very as- inspirational. I knew I, when I first started working graphic design, I wanted to be in advertising at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, although advertising really is just 
kind of manipulative marketing. That's all advertising is. There is an aspirational aspirational point to it if it, if done right. You know, yes. When I watched those ads when I was a kid, I, I actually really bought into that, and and it's, it did inspire me to want to play sports and buy sneakers and kind of indulge in that entire lifestyle. That's what it does, man. That ad world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, who are some of the designers and the brands now? Like you've mentioned Nike, but you know, are you still following Nike? And who are some of the other brands and designers that you're currently sort of looking up to? And what do you like about them? Yeah, yeah. I think I find there's a lot. I think before, maybe in the athletic space, especially in the sneaker space, it really was like Jordan, Adidas, maybe some Reeboks. Um, I'm. I find it very interesting now. You find all these different little makers. You don't necessarily need to go to you know, usually a designer would feel like, oh, I need to go to Nike to make this, get this shoe made. Mm-hmm. Now there's so many different more avenues. There's, uh, I've, I've, I've recently, maybe in the past year and a half, become a very serious runner. So I've been coming nice. really into uh, running shoes and running materials and these running companies, and um, which is like kind of a new world. Now, I've, instead of collecting basketball shoes, I've started collecting running shoes, mm-hmm. which is just more space and money i don't have (laughs) (laughs) that i'm throwing at throwing at it um i i kind of just like the way these running companies are competing so you know what's on design doing they're from sweden but their running shoes have this material and these um this technology they're working to be really really sustainable here um adidas came out with boost for a little bit so for me i kind of just see where the innovation is and um all the even little makers like i have a really good friend of mine who has been uh, working on 3D printing shoes himself. That's cool. Yeah. So um, I think I, I draw a lot of inspiration from that. I, I'm actually, I feel like I'm not even a good designer in that sense where I'm terrible with names and have a hard time um, following specific individuals. But I do know what's happening within the space and the culture. And that to mm-hmm. me is what I try to follow a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, I guess I guess it would just be where the culture and sport is moving towards. That is kind of what I'm looking towards in terms of inspiration. I like, like that. Just all the, all the different ways that the people are finding ways to create. And I don't know. I just, I think it's, it's, it's super interesting space right now. Definitely. I like that. Tim, you've reached the point of the show where I'm going to pull up your Instagram on screen here. We're going to have a look through it. And this is just before we get into some of the tough stuff. So, so mm. drink it up. This is the last positive thing for a little while. We're, we're going to head go, to the rough in. side. I <laughs> yeah. saved my life. Expose me. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So got your Instagram up on screen here. I'm just going to scroll through and pick a couple of posts and I want to, I want to hear about them. I want to hear what went into them. What's the story behind them. Um, so this one here, there's two here that are really, Oh, three. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's start with this one right here in the middle. Sure. Uh, this was, I did this when I was in London. Um, I had, I was working for this agency that I was not particularly enjoying too much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I do find it, it's just so important to, if you work professionally as a creative person, you need to have some creative outlet that's just yourself. That's just mm-hmm. your own. Mm-hmm. So I'd always had a fashion, uh, a passion for, um, you know, design, making logos, drawing, things like that. But, you know, once you start working and that becomes your job, it, it kind of does whether your, 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 
your own love for the craft. Mm-hmm. So um, when I was in London, I had a, I thought I had I found out quite a lot of free time just between my job and my commute. So mm-hmm. um, I bought an iPad Pro, and I just started drawing again. You know, I I kind of had taken a bit of a lull, and it was kind of hard for me to coming from an Emily Carr background of more of a fine arts background, yeah. getting into digital art. For a long time, I was like, do I get a, a Wacom or a Wacom? And do I do the thing where you draw on the, the tablet and then see it on the screen? It, it felt like I was disconnecting too much from the tactile feel of drawing mm-hmm. and then kind of going all into to this digital space, which felt a little icky to me. So, uh, but I just, I just caved. I was like, you know what? I just, this is that thought process is actually stopping me from even really doing anything as a mm-hmm. whole, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just got the iPad Pro and I started mucking around with Procreate and uh, I, I really started to enjoy it. And once I felt like I started getting the feel for it, um, I wanted to create more like abstract kind of pieces rather than just, you know, portraiture or things like that, even though that's, that's what I still enjoy doing. Yeah. So this one specifically was um, uh, internally, uh, Apple wanted to they like illustration. So one of their emails is just like, Hey, you know, if you have someone that, you know, that could potentially be hired, um, let us know. It's kind of like a referral program. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I did a, a little piece for that. So this is kind of a, an abstract way of searching. So that's, that's the lighthouse with the jellyfish. And I think I had just watched, um, what's that robot show on Netflix? Death something robots. Death. Oh, I don't know that, that? Oh, no. it's good. It's that's where they. I think it's a bunch of mini shorts on Netflix where they got a bunch of different design studios to create um, these short films based on different subject matters. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've always just really liked jellyfish. I don't know why, because they it's kind of odd. They have no brains. <laughs> they're just they're taking over the sea. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, no brains oh, taking yeah. over. They kind of just go to. I don't. I don't like how. Do, I don't know how they navigate through the world. Like you have no brain. Um, so, <laughs> they just do somehow. they just do it right yeah so abstractly i'm like lighthouse you know that's like for a direction and then jellyfish kind of have no direction but if you find a jellyfish like you know something there <laughs> i like it i like yeah. it uh this drawing is standing out to me here yeah this is uh this is what my mood is at all times it's uh that's awesome i don't know if you watched uh, the last dance but i think it's episode seven where Michael okay. Jordan is sitting in the locker room, smoking a cigar, swinging a Louisville slugger, which is the, <laughs> the baseball bat. And he's talking yeah. about, he's talking about shit talking. And he says, uh, oh, he says it's easy to shit talk when you're up, but it takes a good man to shit talk when you're down. Yeah. And I just loved it. I loved it so much. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I love your caption on this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, She's yeah. talking is how I'll be spending the rest of 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. The, only, you know, the best thing that came out of 2020 was the last dance, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so you drew this in Procreate? Correct. I did this in Procreate as well. Man, mm-hmm. I've spent about a total of 20 minutes in Procreate. And I look at something like this, and I can't even, I can't even grasp how this would even be created. 
Yeah, it's it's you know what it it does feel like cheating because <laughs> digitally, you know, you can get these brushes that are so consistent with uh, what your strokes are going to be like. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's different ways of pressure, um, but you have like just the swatches on the side, so all the colors are consistent when you're painting. Obviously, you got to mix them up, and sometimes you can. Uh, there's going to be, I guess, not always uh, some little imperfections which do give it something as well but yeah i'm still learning the medium too you know this is kind of built in a lot of different layers um that are hiding a lot of my mistakes <laughs> yeah so, it still looks awesome that's awesome great job on that one tim yeah i appreciate it uh the other one that started to me is this logo here oh yeah so i, I would say that um when i kind of got away from more fine arts and gone to logo design mm-hmm. um that to me you know, I, I really enjoy logo design because for me, it was kind of combined into two things, these clever small doodles with yeah. uh, kind of this business purpose. You know, I always say that the art, the difference between, I would say, an artist and a graphic designer is an artist has a feeling in their heart, like a, a, an, a, an expression or emotion they want to present in a visual way mm-hmm. through either through dance, even through music. That's they just have a feeling they want to express where there's a designer, there's more like a business problem that they're solving through visual and creative means. Yes. So I always found, to me, a logo was kind of like, the perfect logo is just the intersection between the two. Yeah. Because the right logo does feel like, uh, essentially, it's the self-portrait of that company. Mm -hmm. You're trying to imbue something simple with a lot of different meaning, but then also still satisfy um, at a business objective. Yes. Um, so this one is actually just a, a friend of mine. He was shooting uh, high school kids, uh, giving them like really, really cool, like premium, high level magazine, Sports Illustrated level photography for high school mm-hmm. basketball players. And he needed a logo and uh, basketball sports logo. Like that's like peak Tim Chuang bingo. <laughs> like, yeah, I got you. <laughs> I got you. But I think, yeah, that was a good one. That is so good. Yeah, I love the way that this logo is put together for shutter hoops, you know, with the the camera shutter instantly recognizable with the basketball just in there. Mm, Mm. Well, something going on. (laughs) Perfect. Tim, I got to get into the tough stuff, man. Got to do it. Dig. Next couple of questions I got. Take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons. I'm going to pull those stories out of you, share those with the listeners. Mm. After that, we'll turn it around. We'll finish up in a happy place. Let's do it. So, Tim, what has been the most challenging period of time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Yeah, I think about this question quite a bit too. I think I actually got, I think it might be very early in my career Mm -hmm. where almost immediately after Emily Carr, I started working for an agency that did a lot of work for Nike. Okay. And I think what made it so challenging was to me, it was not a, con- uh, a work environment conducive to, I guess, my creative growth. Mm-hmm. I guess that we were given a lot of creative freedom to make, uh, to kind of like figure things out, but there was sometimes felt like a big lack of direction. Mm-hmm. So it, it does. I felt like even now I've probably picked up some habits that maybe, um, you know, when I work with creative, different creative directors, design directors, I learn stuff from them, right? I learned different, their, their kind of creative process mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, I know I never had thought to have done that because I just kind of get from A to B sometimes. 
our A to C sometimes without going through those steps because uh, I was working somewhere with so much creative freedom for such a big client. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found that quite challenging, but also it's a weird thing when you typically, most people don't do some work for Nike right out of school. You kind of work at a different couple yeah, places yeah. and then you get there, right? Yeah. So for me to almost get to a place where um, it was supposed to be a later on goal, it felt like, oh, this isn't, it's it, it's a weird feeling that I, I'm here, but I'm not, you know, and I built my life to be able to get to this point, but I, I don't really enjoy it. Like I'm, I'm, I don't feeling like the joy in this work that I thought I would. Sort of becomes, you know, quickly anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know that it becomes a point of maybe, maybe this job isn't for me. You know, it's the only time I really considered doing something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I kind of persevered through that, and then found that uh, I did find that going through that, going through that stage, just helped me solidify truly that this is what I was going and supposed to do Mm -hmm. and now i can't imagine doing anything else to be honest yeah yeah to go through something similar to that so close to you know like like fresh out of school yeah like yeah it was was my first like yeah i was gonna say so in your mind you're you're thinking like you know i'm I'm striving for this it's years away i'm striving for it Mm. and all of a sudden you're there you know, it, it's a different, it's a different feeling. Yeah. I was there and it was suddenly a job, you know? Yeah. It was suddenly before it was, you know, this is play. I'm enjoying this. Even when I was interning, I'm like, oh, I'm still figuring things out. And then now I have a very, very stressful job with a lot of pressure and um, with a client that I've always wanted to work with even directly or indirectly. And, uh, I just found it incredibly challenging. You know, no I, longer I, I a dream. Complain. It's a job. Yeah, I don't. I don't complain because I'm lucky that that had happened because it really did help me find jo- uh, work later on at probably a pace that uh, I'd be lucky to have. Just because you you put the swoosh on your resume even just a little bit and it helps so much. You know, it's just yeah. the brand recognition does help a lot. Um, but you know, that was that was definitely a, a learning period. And you know what? Just coming from that first stage, because that was a startup where I was like the second employee. We're working out this dude's condo. <laughs> um, it it it, it kind of gave me a scope of like okay this is what it's like to start you know being a business that's starting this is the environment that it that it's in it's very high pressure and seeing how different that is and even you know if you go go encounter a workplace that you may not like at least now you know okay this is a space that i don't necessarily want to be in mm-hmm. which informs your next decisions mm-hmm. yep all right Tim, I want to get a little bit more specific with this next one. Can you take us to a specific design or a specific project that you were a part of that did not go well, did not bring the desired result? How did that feel? What was that like? Can you take us to that? Yeah. I did a a branding project not too long ago. I'm not going to name names. (laughs) I did a branding project not too long ago with uh, the with my business partner, we were branding um, this company. And this this client had a very specific, I guess, vision. And I presented him, I, I was really excited about it because I felt like, okay, this is an opportunity to do 
um, a kind of design I've always wanted. I feel like designers always have bucket list things they want to do. Like for me, I've always wanted to do a university seal, like the ones yeah. you would stamp on a, on a, on a diploma. And I've always yeah. wanted, to, well, as, as along with a couple other things, I've always wanted to do like an F1 style logo, you know, like a motorsports yeah. inspired logo, right? Yeah. So cool. Um, so I thought this was an opportunity to do that. So I put in a lot of time for maybe a branding project that didn't require so many hours. Um, when I presented it to the client, I, I have, I'm okay with criticism and I, I open, I openly, I'm open for the discussion and that conversation. Uh-huh. What I, what I, and this is my understanding. This is what I had to learn about myself. What I don't take is someone else making it seem like, I don't know what I'm doing in a kind of uh-huh. disrespectful manner. Right. Yep. So I, that was something I had to, uh, really check myself a little bit with because during that meeting, where I was presenting him some stuff that I, I was passionate about, and I, I truly do believe would have worked really well. And he was coming with uh, feedback that wasn't really feedback. It was more like personal attacks. But my business partner was saying, hey, we may need this client for potential other clients. Like um, this will set us up for bigger work and more important work later mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Just to be able to think a little bit forward in a business sense. Yes. That's been the most difficult part. I think for me is, you know, being precious, my design, but also being strategic and how you approach it with business. And that was kind of a learning lesson to me because I truly was about to lose it. (laughs) I I I actually, we were in the meeting, I presented it and uh, I think we were on Google chat and I, you know, when you do full screen, I wasn't aware that you could still see me while I was presenting. And I just remember sitting here <laughs> like this. Oh, you got the pain feedback. on your face. Yeah, yeah. And my business partner is messaging me like, Tim, don't do it. <laughs> it's not <laughs> your face, time. bro. Your face. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't. She knew like I was about to, I was about to, I was about to go to war. <laughs> yeah. Because there, yeah. there's a time, you know, there's time where I think you just feel like, oh, you know what? No, we can, we can have this. I've got time today. We can have this discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. You want to talk about it? Let's talk yeah, about let's, it. Let's, let's, okay. We could do this today. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So in the end of them, in the end, sort of climb, you, you change direction. I had to change it completely. He actually, he actually drew something in that meeting. He drew it. He's like, I want this exactly. And I was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got it. Cool, cool, yeah, cool, cool, that's cool, 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 cool. I, uh, yeah, I was like, I, I started to go around the lane. I was like, yeah, that's good. You should do that. I didn't realize you were a designer. I was starting to go down that, that rabbit hole. So I had to check myself. Uh, we, we, we found, we found a medium in the end that, yeah. uh, I actually thought think works. You know, if you, if you, I think I probably approached it with my own passion and maybe came at a too high mm-hmm. level of a concept for something that could have been so simple. Yeah. But, um, I guess another challenge that I'm dealing with sometimes is um, clients will get what they pay for. And even though my name's on it, whenever I design something and I want to do the best job I can, there still has to be a distinction between a really high paying client and then a very, not a low paying client, but one that's a little, uh, um, I guess a a smaller scale. So if you're Mm -hmm. giving like a hundred hours for something that you really only scope for 20 or 10, like you have to really make that, 
this, this distinction. Otherwise, yeah. why would someone ever pay for the whatever full 200 hours if you're giving that work at a 10 hour rate, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously you want to put your name on everything and be proud of everything you do. But um, there, there's still a business side to the game that I'm, I'm still learning. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. And the, it's that intersection between business and creative. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to achieve to recognize and understand both. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes decisions are made strictly for business and sometimes yeah. decisions are made strictly for creative. Yeah. But it's difficult to, it sometimes can be difficult to get a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay, Tim, let's turn this around. I want you now to tell me about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, one that just mm. makes your heart sing. I uh, I did something when I was working at Anomaly in Toronto, which is an ad agency. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a partnership with, uh, I guess you could call it like a charter school named the Osis Skateboard Factory. Okay. Um, they operate out of a community center. Essentially, this, uh, this school, they take kids who um, at-risk youth and help them uh, finish their high school th- the degrees mm-hmm. through creative means. So they actually help them do so by branding their own skateboard uh, companies cool. and creating, like, creating clothing brands and um, learning how to operate in that kind of creative space. Mm-hmm. And Anomaly has a partnership with them where the kids will come in, I think it was once every, uh, one Thursday out of every month, and we would give them a lecture. Um, and then we would help each student um, individually one-on-one uh, with a bit of mentor with their, uh, with their brands. Mm-hmm. And for their 10-year um, anniversary, Anomaly wanted to kind of give them a bit of a brand refresh. Mm-hmm. And that was a project that I had a lot of passion for. So like I was telling you, where designers have like bucket list uh, designs that they want to do yeah i wanted to do a diploma so that was my i was like oh we're doing university seal today (laughs) (laughs) this is it yeah that was it so you know i i tried to i just remember really building out that that brand but i guess a couple things that for me made it uh particularly interesting was the kind of teachers that do it are a little punk rock ish Mm -hmm. so that's a visual language that i'm not familiar with Mm. So okay. that that was something that where I actually had to really go do my research. So I went to the record store, looked at a bunch of different punk rock uh, vinyls that uh, I thought were really interesting, found a couple brand T-shirts that I thought were really interesting. Um, essentially, really wanted to brand this in a way where I could give them a set of assets that they could sell as merchandise to help fund the school and cool. um, really do my due diligence to make sure that their brand story was represented in everything that I did. And also kind of document it in a way where when I was done, I could give it to um, Lauren and Greg, the people who run the program mm-hmm. and be like, Hey, um, this is, I guess what could be a skeleton for how to brand or make a logo for something like, this is the research. This is what uh, I got from you guys, the client, A, B, and C details. Um, these are my iterations, one to four options. Um, these are the revisions and this is the final product. So I think by doing all that, hopefully they have a, not just a piece that they have for themselves as the way skateboard factory, but, a, but an educational piece that um, they can show to the kids to teach them a little bit about branding itself. That is such a cool sort of intersection between, you know, like teaching and training 
with, you know, not-for-profit and helping to support something like that. Yeah. I mean, I I always think about what we talked about, my high school teacher, Ms. Stevenson Moore, right? If I didn't have that guidance, like we wouldn't be talking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So true, man. That's a cool thing. Love that one. Um, Tim, before I get into the ask it forward question, I wanted to ask you, are you reading any books? Have you come across any books? Has there been um, any books or blogs or articles that you would highly recommend for designers to read? What do you What do you got going down in the reading consumption department right now? Oh man, I just recently finished a book called "Man's Search for Meaning," and uh, it was recommended by a friend of mine. And uh, this really has nothing to do with design, but I just think it's a really, really good book for life. <laughs> Especially in our little COVID situation. Yeah. Um, the book essentially is written by a psychiatrist who uh, was in the Holocaust. Wow. Okay. And he really approaches the, that kind of very tumultuous point in his life through a, a lens of a, like someone that would psychoanalyze brains. Like, oh, this happened and this is what happens to the human mind. This is <laughs> this happened. This is what happens to the human condition. Um, and he really distills the idea of uh, the people that were able to survive those really extreme conditions had one of these three things. This is going to be a bit of a spoiler for people reading the book. <laughs> but uh, essentially the people that were able to survive the Holocaust from his perspective were living for either a to create. So for him, he wanted to, um, he needed to survive to write this manuscript that he had in his mind that needed to, he needed to give to humanity Two, you have someone to live for where it's like, you know, the love of your life or a child waiting at home. Or the third one, where you're in such an extreme environment and you may not have A or B. And at that point, your life is to endure suffering, which sounds really terrible. But if you think about it, there is this quote, I think it's by Seneca. I could be wrong. But it essentially says, um, sometimes just to live it is an act of courage. So in a sense, it's, you know, you went through this really terrible turmoil, Mm -hmm. but you were able to overcome it. And that is your humanity. Like you were able to overcome the worst human conditions possible. That is a meaningful life. So I think about that just to say, just in terms of where does creation for myself rank in that? Mm -hmm. And I like to think that my life is probably like 50% to, to create. And when I, when I reflect on that book, it does make me feel kind of um, like I'm in the right space. Like if, if I was to think about my meeting in life, it actually is, I actually really enjoy creating things and then helping my friends create things and um, talking about ideas and creating things. So I just, I just think it's a good book to meditate Sounds like on. an interesting book for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never heard of that one before. It's a good one, man. It's classic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic. Classic. 
All right. Well, it's time for the ask it forward question, man. This is where mm-hmm. I have a question for you from my last guest yeah. and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell sure. you who they are, but you can ask them anything. Sure. So my last guest was Adam Vicarell from Vicarell Studios. Mm. And he wanted to ask, <clears throat> when you feel hung up on sort of how to price your freelance work, what do you do and what resources do you use to sort of ground yourself and put some perspective on it to put together that pricing? Mm. I think uh, I, I try to be incredibly honest with my peers who are graphic designers in terms of money. You know, mm-hmm. that is a really taboo topic with graphic designers don't necessarily talk about enough. And because we don't yeah. talk about it enough, sometimes we, we're actually forfeiting a lot of our power. I don't know how much you're getting paid. I don't know this person's getting paid. How am I supposed to really charge myself? Mm-hmm. And it is this weird thing where when you work in creative, sometimes you feel almost guilty that you get to have a job that you enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really difficult to price yourself. Um, I tend to actually just straight up ask my mentors. I have a couple of mentors, uh, great some design directors who have given me a lot of great advice. Um, I try to keep in mind essentially keep a keep a price in my head that's like how much would i have to be paid to care you know interesting that's that's a question i try to ask myself um not like oh this is a good number on paper but how much like really considering what the client is um for me to feel invested personally because my name's Mm going to be on it you know i have to remember that my remember give myself a reminder of that everyone every now and then um in terms of like the actual uh, number itself, yeah, I think you know you referred back to your past contracts. I freelanced for a while, so it's kind of slowly been a consistent uh, grind. So I do have certain numbers I have in my head, and I think you also have to do enough research on the client to know what they can pay. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you're working for a client that you know is a lot of money and they're really severely undercharging you because, you know, maybe they're trying to flex a little bit. You got to be able to justify your rate. And I think if you can do that, you're, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. I can just imagine a designer that's sort of just kicking it out there freelance. You almost have no, uh, you know, no start point mm-hmm. of, of where to go with things. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So was there a second part to that question? I totally forgot about um, so what do you do was the first part of it. Um, and sort of, have you, do you have any resources that you use to sort of ground yourself to put together that pricing? And you had mentioned mentors. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I try, I go back to my mentors quite often, just like even with job offers, you're not, you're not even about money, but I'm thinking about working here, here. What do you think? Yeah. What have um, you heard? What do you got? And I just find people in creative so open. Like if, if you just ask, People are really, really willing to help. It's I almost think like you're, you're waiting for somebody to ask these questions. Yeah. But you know, just because it's not talked about that, that you're almost somebody asking you, hey, what do you charge? And it instantly gets your attention. It's like, hey, let's have a conversation about this because nobody ever mm-hmm. talks about it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I try to be as super transparent as possible just because I just know how many times I've been undercharged. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Tim, what is the question you would like to ask the next guest? I was thinking about this. 
have a very non-designed question. What's the question I like personally? That's fine. Yeah. Uh, if so, for the next person, if you were to describe yourself as one dish, what would it be, and why? So, if you were to be like a bowl of ramen, why would you be a bowl of ramen? What's in your bowl of ramen? You're going to top it with an extra egg? Would you do some spring onions? Would you do, you know, some pork belly on the side? Would you do? Uh, would, it, would it be spicy? Would it be miso? Would it be soy sauce or or shoyu? Damn. <laughs> you know that's a tough question. I'm trying to think if any. You know what is my answer to this? It's tough, man. You know what? I'm on a bit of a on a bit of a pad thai kick right now. Ooh. So if I could have like a Wrong. real good pad thai, but not with like the the sort of simulation pork patty, but like some legit like premium pad thai. Yeah. True. I like that. Uh, would you, are you? Would it be spicy? No, I'm a mild guy. What kind of what kind of meat would you have in it? Any meat that they'll give me. Ooh, that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like, so so I, I've made it at home. I've made it with, like, diced up chunked pork, but I've also mm-hmm. made it with some pork belly that, like, I spent some time on. But I've also done, like, crispy chicken thighs. And so that's far, fine. the crispy yeah. chicken thighs, just that texture is, yeah. um, is, is the gem. So if I had to pick, it would either be pork belly or the crispy chicken thigh. That's strong. I like pork that. belly done right. You can't. Yeah, really yeah, compete. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> it's only gonna be done right. Come on, man. <laughs> Give me a break. Give me a break. Awesome. I love that question, um, Tim. With that, you've reached the end of the Quickie Podcast, man. Thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me, sir. I appreciate you and appreciate your time. I told you it was a good one. I told you. Thanks so much for listening to the, today's episode. And if you're digging what you're hearing here on the Quickie Podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts, head over to Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, leave a rating and a review. Let everybody know that we have amazing conversations with incredible creatives here on the show. And it's one that they just can't miss. That's it. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.